The dark room is a place of process and development. A place where moments are captured, details are exposed, and images are revealed. What if everything we're striving for in life can be revealed through a shift in perspective? What if our lack of focus on who Christ is in us corrupts our destiny and impact? What if we could adjust our lens and fix our eyes on the right image? What if we could filter our mind and capture who God really is? What if we could change our position and expose the lies we believe? Who is God? Jesus, the image of God revealed. I hope you're doing well today. I hope your level of expectation is high because it would be an atrocity if you left the same that you came in this morning. Oh, you ain't ready for this. I got my red preaching shoes on because it's going to be fire. So you better hire your level of expectation to receive because I believe that your level of expectation will determine what you receive this morning. If you don't expect God to speak to you, God won't speak to you. But if you expect to be inspired and encouraged and empowered, I've got such an empowering word for you this morning. Unlike any message I've ever preached before in this house that I promise you, it will be impossible for you to leave not excited. Okay, I like it. And again, the more body language you give me, the more verbals you give me, the better and shorter I preach. And so I appreciate that this morning. We, we launched this, the dark room is that my wife going crazy already? Hey, girl, how you doing? The dark room is such a creative element to what we've been doing. We've been doing an exegetical series through the book of Colossians, which is line by line, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And the dark room kind of encapsulates everything we're trying to reveal about God. And my passage of scripture, my assignment today kind of does a phenomenal job of revealing not only who God is, but who he has always been. And I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up with a lot of information and a lot of things about God that I found out when I started studying and, and for myself weren't actually true. And so I'm going to drop several bombs today in your brain that you might disagree with at first, but I promise you, don't allow your lack of study or because something might be new for you this morning to interfere with what God wants to reveal through the dark room. Oh, it's going to be so good. Remember, Pastor talked about last week, the church in Colossae was a new church plant. They were real new. And so what Paul, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, he didn't have to do a lot of things that he had to do in other letters. Like, as he explained last week, the church in Corinth, which was crazy, okay, they were crazy. Paul had to address people who were sleeping with their mamas. That's gross, weird, and crazy. And if you think the Bible is boring, you don't read the Bible, 
Because crazy stuff was going on. Paul had to bring the church in Corinth into alignment because they were acting a fool. He had to talk to the church in Galatia, in Galatians, about their legalism because they were telling that it's Jesus plus the Ten Commandments equals life. That ain't true. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. He had to bring them into alignment. And so what he does to the church in Colossae is he is just reminding them of the truth of who Jesus is and who God has always been, bringing them into alignment to keep Jesus the main thing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, keep the main thing the main thing. Now look at the other person who you ignored and tell them the same thing. Isn't it always awkward when the preachers ask you to talk to people you don't want to talk to? Oh, snap. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, they're going to be on these huge screens behind me. But if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to read along with me. I'm just going to read it real quick, and then we're going to dive into it in a little bit. But what Paul says to the church in Colossae is crazy. I hope you're ready to experience who God has always been. You can argue with me all you want, but you will be arguing with Paul because we are reading the words of Paul speaking to the church in Colossae about who God has always been. He starts off in verse 15. He says, the son who is Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Why don't you say it with me? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, which means we don't worship a God who's invisible. I heard that even in seminary. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in who? In Jesus. The whole fullness of God is revealed in Jesus. And if Jesus lives in you, guess what? The fullness of God is in you. This stuff preaches itself. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your what? In your minds. That's real important to understand because we were never alienated from God and we were never God's enemies. Do you know that God has zero enemies? You ain't ready. But now, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I'm going to read that one again. If you have a Bible that doesn't glow, you might want to underline that phrase because he just spoke your actual identity because your identity is not based on your behavior. He says that through Christ's physical body through death, he now presents you, not the preachers, all of humanity as Presently holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. When you preach that, you tick off a lot of religious people. 
If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not hold or do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It's really important for you to understand who Paul is because many of you, if you've grown up in church, you know who Paul is. But if you don't believe in Jesus because of what Jesus did, you might want to believe in Jesus because of what it did in Paul's life. Remember, Paul used to kill Christians for, for their faith. And he has this moment where Jesus, that he now gives up his position as someone who executes Christians to become one. This is ridiculous. All right, let's pray. Maybe we pray, set the mood. So, Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I pray that you enlighten who you are in the hearts of your children and that they leave empowered in who you've always called them to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever um, been a part of a prank? And then the reveal was so much better than the prank. You know, the shock on their faces. I, I'm a prankster. I work with kids. I like pranks. Uh, I knew my wife. I was going to marry my wife when I saw her. It helped that I saw her when she was in a bathing suit. Hey, girl. I'm one of those dudes that knew I was going to marry my wife before. I actually met my wife, and I actually have journal proof of this because I wrote it down in a journal before I met her that I was going to marry her. It's just, I just knew. But there was a moment in our dating life that I knew for sure that this was going to be the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with, so much so that I put a ring on it the next month. It was when we introduced her to my family. You know how awkward this can be when you bring home a new girl or a new boy to the family. There's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of qualifications that have to happen. I'm one of four boys, and you better believe that I'm the best looking and the best out of all my brothers. I only said that because I know they watch. But, but my wife, who, if you don't know much of our story, my wife was adopted from Ukraine at 16 years old, okay? Think about that. She has a crazy life story. So English is actually her third language. She speaks Russian and Ukrainian. And so I came up with this plan, and when she agreed to go along with this plan, I knew. I knew it. It was like, okay, she's the one. She agreed to pretend to be a mail-order bride. <laughs> I love you, baby. Now, my wife is going to preach actually in this stage in a couple of weeks, and you might not be able to hear her accent because she does a really good job of, of hiding it. She's self-conscious about it, even though I think it's so sexy. <sighs> but when she speaks broken English, my goodness, it can be broken English. You should have seen the look on my parents when she pretended to be a mail order bride. What was better than the prank itself was revealing the truth to my parents because what you don't know about my mom, my mom is like barely five foot, but she raised four boys, so she is a firework, okay? Like I know most of the people in this church is white, so they don't know what it's like to grow up with a mama who will hit you without you knowing it's coming. That was my mama. Yeah. And so when she pulled me aside to try to convince me that my girlfriend only wanted a green card, ooh, that was a conversation that my mom still doesn't let us live down. The great reveal. You know, it was so fun for me in this moment. Why? Because I had known the truth the whole time. There is something you need to know so much about Scripture. Is that God had to progressively reveal who he was throughout the Old Testament because if he revealed all he was at once, we would have missed it. 
This is really important to understand because what Paul does in, in Colossians 1 verses 15 through 23 is he is revealing not only who Jesus is, but who God has always been. I only got two thoughts for you this morning, and I encourage you to write them down. I encourage you to wrestle with them. If you disagree with some of the things I said, that's good. We have an open-door policy. Let's have a conversation. I can highlight some books that have really challenged and shaped my theology about some of the things you read in the Old Testament because if you read some things in the Old Testament and they don't line up with who Jesus is, then maybe you should be questioning some things you read in the Old Testament. Point number one, Jesus reveals not only who God is, but who he has always been. God is love. Therefore, God cannot contradict the character of who he is. I'm going to prove some things to you in scripture that you probably have never seen before, or you've just been told certain things about the Bible so you believe them without questioning them. But we are a type of church that when you read some things, because we do encourage you to read and to study, and in our modern day culture and society, it is really wrong for you to stay ignorant. We live in the information age. You can find out stuff that took St. Augustine and Constantine their entire life to study out. We can have access in minutes. I'm going to show you some things in scripture today, but what I want you to understand about God revealing who he is, is that any concept of God that does not look like Jesus is an idol that you've created. You see, the scriptures are not always clear, nor do they need to be. But the real matter of scripture is clear, that being who Jesus is, who God is. Did you know that it is possible to be biblical without being Christ-like? As the definition of the Pharisees. One of the main reasons why Jesus wrapped himself up in flesh to reveal who God has always been is because he was sick and tired of people using God to abuse people. It still happens in American churches today. You are not under the law. You are not under the Ten Commandments. You are under the new covenant, the covenant of love, the covenant of peace, the covenant of hope. Not just the people on stage are anointed. You are anointed. You are empowered. You have ministry to do. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. See, Jesus is the Bible that we must interpret the Bible through. Because John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the lens that we now have to interpret all scriptures through. That means you have power to disagree with certain scriptures. And why do I say that? God himself did it. You ever read the book of Job? Job's three ignorant friends are telling Job about how he's wrong and how he's living. And God has to show up in Job 36 to reveal to Job that all the scriptures written before in the book of Job are wrong because they wrongly accuse God of who he is. Did you know that there are some scriptures that actually contradict themselves? If you don't understand that God progressively revealed himself in scripture. You do know that when Abraham comes on the scene, that Abraham did not know that God was a provider until God provided a ram in the thicket? You do realize that the Israelites did not know that God was a healer until in Exodus, he started healing people? He was progressively revealing himself in scripture. That means that there are oftentimes scriptures that are written through a limited lens because they did not have the full revelation of who God is. We have the full revelation because we live in the new covenant. We have Jesus to interpret our scriptures through. This is really important for you to understand. They didn't teach you this in seminary. 
So if Jesus is the full revelation of God, then we read scriptures like in 2 Samuel 24 when it says the anger of God burned against David and called him to incite his people to take a survey when God previously told him not to do that. Why would God say that? Unless the authors of 2 Samuel 24 had a limited perspective of God. Let me tell you something. Because in Chronicles 21, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, it says in the same passage of scripture that Satan rose against David to incite his people. That's not a translation error. Could it be that in Samuel, they had a limited understanding of who God was because the people of Samuel thought that God was the author of good and evil. So anything that happened in life, they accredited to God. But in Chronicles, which is actually a terrible placement in your Bible, most scholars believe it should be the very last book of the Old Testament. It's written 300 years later than the book of Samuel. So when the authors of Chronicles are reading through the, author, through the authorship of Samuel and they're rewriting the story, they come to this, this place in Scripture and they say, we, would know, we know because the revelation of God has been progressively revealing himself to us. We know that it would have been God whose anger would come up and do something that God previously said not to do. We now understand that that's the accuser. That's the Satan. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? Is this a lot? I know I'm speaking fast, but I only had like 20 more minutes to, to kind of break these chains in your life. I really want you to catch this, this picture because a lot of people come with a lot of theologies based on left behind books that were written just a couple years ago. And so if you have a belief system that the book of Revelation, Jesus is going to come back and kill a whole bunch of people. If you're understanding of Jesus in the book of Revelation doesn't line up with your understanding of Jesus in the Gospels, then maybe you've misinterpreted Revelation. Maybe God actually did die on the cross for all of humanity. Maybe he didn't say, hey, I'm going to die for the people that call me enemies, but then come back later and kill a bunch of people. That doesn't line up. That's a contradiction. Or maybe that's a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation from 21st century Americans. See, if you read the Old Testament without the lens of Jesus, you get Judaism, which is a works-based religion, all based on your behavior. A pastor once said this, is man is so willing to crucify God to defend their own concepts of God because they believe things about God that were wrong for so long. See, we tend to worship the Bible instead of the God that is revealed in the Bible. Jesus is inerrant. Jesus is perfect theology. He had to show up in the flesh to reveal who God has always been because people had misrepresented him for thousands of years. How do I know that is because Elijah did. He was a great prophet, but Elijah abused his power that was freely given to him by calling down fire to burn up a whole bunch of people. So much so that the disciples who worshiped Elijah in Judaism, they showed up with Jesus and a bunch of people are rejecting Jesus and Jesus' disciples say, should we just burn them up like Elijah did? Should we call down fire and kill these people for rejecting you? And Jesus responds to his disciples, rebukes them and says, you do not know what spirit I am from. As if to say, Elijah abused my power. Elijah got it wrong. Jesus is who God has always been. And this is really good news to us because Jesus did not die to save us from God. He died to set us free. He was actually murdered by an angry religious mob. 
And many religious people today get very frustrated when you talk about certain aspects of Scripture because the reality is, is we don't worship the Bible for the Bible's sake. We worship Jesus who is revealed in the Scriptures because Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is better than you think he is. Jesus has always been for you. Jesus has never been against anybody in the history of humanity. He is for people to catch the revelation that he will love you in spite of you. And that is better news than you are making it seem right now in your mind. So I'm just going to assume that I've just downloaded a whole bunch of thought process into your life that will help you maybe later on in life. Point number one is Jesus reveals who God has always been. Point number two, and this is so good and so important for you to catch the revelation of, is Jesus reveals who you are and who you will always be. In verse 22, he said, in Colossians, that he has reconciled you by Christ's physical death to present you as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. I'm going to teach you a term that they taught me in seminary. It's called propitiation versus expiation. You can write this down and research it for yourself. In fact, if you do a Google search, these words they they claim as synonyms on Wikipedia, which... They are very close to being synonyms, except the fact that both make Jesus the hero, but for different reasons. And I'm about to explain it to you in the best way possible. In fact, our conference speaker this past summer, Bill Vanderbush, he explained it in a very similar way. I'm stealing his illustration because I believe that what I'm about to paint for you in your mind is going to set some people free this morning. You ready to be set free? Propitiation versus expiation. I'm just going to pick on a couple friends real quick. I'm going to pick on my man Christian because he's beautiful back there. Let's say uh, Christian commits a crime. It's a bad crime. He's on trial for it. He's going to be killed. We have video evidence. We have audio evidence. And we have image evidence. Christian is guilty. He knows it. I know it. We all know it. Okay, Christian, you're guilty. You're going to die. You're going to die today. But my man Josh over here, Josh, man, he loves Christian as much as I love Christian, but he's got a better heart than I do. He shows up in the court case, and uh, he says, I'll pay the penalty for Christian. I'll serve it all. So the judge looks at Josh and says, all right, Josh, if that's what you want to do, we're going to kill Josh. But Christian, you're free. And so Christian and I, man, we go celebrate. Woo, Christian, you are free. But we both know you're still guilty. You got off, bro. And we are celebrating not just his freedom, but the fact that he got off. You are free, but you are guilty. That's expiation. That's what gets taught in a lot of American churches today. This is what I was taught my whole life. Let me teach you what propitiation is because 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. Christian, he's guilty. We got audio evidence, video evidence, image evidence. He's guilty. Josh shows up in the courtroom and Josh says, hey, before we sentence Christian to the death penalty, I'm, I'm going to ask you to play the evidence back one more time. And so the courtroom's pretty upset at this because they just want to sentence Christian to his due penalty. So the judge puts in the tape and they start watching. And all of a sudden, it's not Christian on the tape, it's Josh. 
He starts playing the audio evidence. We got Christian's audio. We know what he sounds like. They start playing the tape. It's not Christian's voice. It's Josh's. The judge holds up the picture, his last piece of evidence. He knows Christian's guilty. He shows the picture. The audience gasps as he turns around and looks at it. It's not Christian's face. It's Josh's. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 27, says that God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is incredible news because Jesus steps up to not say we're guilty and got off, to say we're innocent because it's actually him who was buried on the cross. Jesus doesn't just give us forgiveness. He gives us justification. Do you know what justification means? Just as if you've never sinned. Just as if you're innocent. You're not guilty and Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price as us so that we could be free so that we could be confident, so that we could be the sons and daughters of God, carrying the essence of God to every single person that we meet. This is what will change the world. This is the good news of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus makes us innocent, never guilty. Not just forgiveness, but justified. Forgiveness happened 2,000 years ago. You are a forgiven human being, regardless of your behavior, but you are now justified in Christ. No distance, no separation, Ever. Did you know that Jesus does not count our sins against us? 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Hebrews 8.12 says that the sins are remembered no longer. Hebrews 10.16-17, Isaiah 43.25, Psalm 51.2, Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, God remembers your sins no more. John 1 29, Colossians 2 14. This isn't my assignment. It says this. It says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, your sins are not a conversation. You don't need to become sin conscious. You need to become savior conscious because you are not identified by what you do. You are identified by who you believe. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint saved by grace. Your sin does not define you. It hasn't ever defined you. And when we walk around with this idea that we should think uh, humility is thinking of ourselves less than, we have missed what humility actually is. Humility actually causes a confidence to walk boldly, knowing that we're forgiven and justified because of Jesus. Won't this, produ- won't this produce pride? It's impossible because you didn't do it. You can't take credit for something you didn't do. Jesus did it. In fact, Bill Vanderbush says it this way, the only way that God could bring us back into a revelation of union with him is if he refuses to allow sin to be put into our account. So if it's our sin that makes us unclean, imperfect, impure, and unholy, but it's not in our account, you might be more pure than you think you are. Colossians 1.22, the passage of scripture that we talked about tonight, that he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. My friends, this is your identity right now. You are holy in his sight. You are without blemish, not because of your behavior, but because of your belief in Jesus Christ. This is the grace message. 
you are free from accusation. That means when the Satan or the spirit of Satan or the accuser, as he's also known as, shows up in your life to try to remind you of things in your past, you have to do what I call the shaggy revelation. Anybody younger than 27 doesn't know who Shaggy is, but Shaggy had a real famous song called, It Wasn't Me. And that might be a little inappropriate for church, but the reality is, is when the accuser shows up in your life, your response as a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God should be, it wasn't me. But you got me on camera. It wasn't me. If you're new, come back. Pastor will, will bring them to alignment, everything I screw up this morning. Do you catch this revelation? You are holy in his sight because your holiness is not based on your performance. Do you know there's a scripture that says to be holy as Christ is holy? Luke's gospel actually says it better than that. He says to be merciful like your father in heaven is merciful. You know holiness is a representation of your mercy for people, the mercy that you should be giving to people who don't do what you do. But aren't you scared that if people catch this revelation that they'll go on living however they want to live? See, grace actually empowers you to destroy the illusion of sin in your life that you tend to believe separates you from God. Everything that you're looking for to fulfill you in sin gets fulfilled in Christ and then some. I got a t-shirt on. Pastor's got a t-shirt on. T-shirt on. And then some. You probably can't see it because it's black on black. But it says, and then some. Joy, peace, love. People who are willing to abuse grace don't live and don't experience full joy, full peace, and full love. People don't need an excuse to sin. People that don't don't want Jesus and reject Jesus are going to sin regardless. People need to be told their true identity in Christ and that there is nothing that satisfies the soul more than resting in the presence of God, knowing that you're holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Oh, Corey, if you only knew my life, I don't need to know your life because I worship a Jesus who put your life on the cross. So when you fall from grace, you don't fall away from it. You fall towards the cross. It's not a get out of jail free card because when you catch this revelation that Jesus now is your life, knowing that you have full peace, full hope, full joy, I'll put it this way. Our student theme for the entire year is make them jealous. Make them jealous because young people live with this idea. I lived with it at least. They live with this idea that the way that my friends are living in the drug scene and the drunk scene and the party scene and the sex scene, that that's life. And what happens in Christian cultures is sometimes we look at the world and go, man, I'm so jealous. I wish I could do this, but I love Jesus and I go to church or I'm two-faced, whatever you want to do. And all of a sudden we have a group of young people who aren't told their free identity. So they're wandering, they're wandering around wondering about is this the life to live or is this? And I believe that God, because of his grace, which has given us our identity, that Christians should be living in such a way, such a fun way, that the crowd that is living crazy should be looking at Christians saying, man, I want what they have because the reality is, is when I go home drunk, I don't have peace. I don't have a family that loves me. We should be provoking the world to jealousy because we love so well. They might be saying, okay, man, that church up in Floyd's Knobs, they're a bit crazy. They believe some pretty crazy things, but they would not be able to deny our love for each other. 
Did you know that after the death, burial, and resurrection of God, that there's not one commandment in the new covenant to love God? In fact, your love for God is proven in your love for people. So many people are focused on their vertical relationship with God, and God wants to switch the script and have you be more focused on your horizontal relationships. It's not so much about looking up, it's about looking around. It's not so much about having an opinion on Facebook without getting involved in real life. People should be so provoked by our lifestyle because we love so well. I'm going to get the band to come up here and help me close. I just want to highlight one more thing here. In verse 21, we talked about it a little bit. Paul, again, speaking, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. See, you can believe a lot of things about God, and God will oftentimes allow you to believe some wrong things about him so that he can progressively reveal who he has always been in your life. Sometimes you need more of an experience than you need facts being preached to you. But the reality is, is you were only alienated from God in your own thinking. Jesus Christ reveals to us that God has always been present in our lives. He doesn't ever leave you. He doesn't ever forsake you. There are no enemies of God. There's only enemies that we create of other people. God has no enemies. He loves humanity. He died for all. He wants all to be able to walk in confidence, not thinking lowly of yourself. People in the Christian culture, they think it's so humble to say, oh, no, I'm just I'm just the guy that just sins. I'm just over here just trying to get right. And when you live like that, you miss the revelation that Christ made you right 2,000 years ago. Not so that you could be hunched over, but so you could stand up righteous. Again, it's not because of your behavior. It's not based on anything you've done. It's based on what Jesus did. This is why the church wakes up and comes to this building to celebrate, not to go through a checklist mentality, is to celebrate the freedom that we now have to be encouraged and empowered. So when you wake up tomorrow on Monday, you are empowered to be able to take over your workplace and show them that Jesus is real because Jesus lives in you. This is the good news of the gospel. No one can claim perfection apart from Christ, yet in Christ we're made complete, holy, and without blemish. Pastor Bill Vanderbush, he closed out the conference by saying this. He said, the world needs an encounter with people in the same way that they would get an encounter with Jesus. So do you reveal Jesus? He said, grace disempowers sin's ability to manipulate God out of loving you. Grace does not have the power to tell God whether or not he can love and accept you. That would make the power of sin greater than the power of righteousness. Romans 4.3 said that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, which means your righteousness is based on your belief, not your behavior. Be empowered, church, because you're pure as a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. God has great things for you. He wants you to live in such an incredible way that the joy and peace and hope and love that you possess is all people can talk about as they want what you have. And all you have to show them is, hey, I just love Jesus. It's actually a good thing to be a Christian. Christians need to stop being so doggone boring and wake up to the reality of who we are. We have power. I am not anointed or any more anointed than you are. 
And just because I'm anointed to preach doesn't mean I'm more anointed to live it out. Come on, we need each other. We come to celebrate life that we already possess. You do know that the reward you receive in heaven is the reward you receive when you accept Jesus Christ. It's Jesus himself empowering you to overcome the things you think you need in your life. To remind you that you're holier than you think you are. That you're more righteous than you will ever be. And that you are capable of making a strong impact on your area of influence.